0: readings come from the first letter of John and from the Gospel of Matthew. First John chapter 3 verses 16 to 24. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, And this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. And now, chapter 5, verses 13 to 19. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those those whose sins does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Third reading is Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 33. Matthew has recorded these words of Jesus. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear proclaim from the roofs do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Father, without you, we would not live. Without you, we would have no eyes above it all. No one who sees all things. Who can view how all things hold together? We have no one who can reveal the heart, no one who can lay bare the mountains to bring to light hidden things. But you know all things, so Father, we trust you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. While in Japan a number of years ago, which is a nation without the language of of, um, uh, of of one omniscient God, one all-knowing God, I saw a poster in a pretty quiet spot in Tokyo. It was a simple poster. It was a a cartoon of a pair of stern-looking eyes, um, stern eyebrows, just just the shape of the eyes alone. My Japanese host, uh, a Christian, said to me, uh, in Japan, we tend not to have a sense of that there is a God looking over all and a God seeing it all. And so, he said, the government puts up posters like this to give the public a sense that someone's watching. He shrugs his shoulders and says, it stops graffiti, I think. Well, we believe that someone is watching, but not government, and not for control, but rather out of love and for our benefit and for his glory. God is omniscient that is, he knows and sees all, and this is good news. It means you can trust him. Charles Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, what he's doing, we must trust his heart. It's brilliant for suffering, by the way. We may not be able to trace his hand. Why is he doing this? But we can trust his heart, and Maybe that's the application of today's message. This is another way of saying, we fear the Lord. He's the one we fear. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, He is omniscient, He knows and we don't. And so we stand in awe of the one who does. The aim of the through-ex series, teaching series, on the bottom of page 7, is to begin to, or continue to, cultivate in our hearts a healthy fear of the Lord. A healthy fear of the Lord. For those here last week, remember my neighbour in Miller's Point, just the mention of the fear of the Lord, anything to do with fear, she would put up walls, she's not listening. I think it's because she equated fear with control, like a set of eyes, or maybe unhappiness, fear to her seemed always negative, she wanted everything to be happy, and yet the Scriptures are very positive. About the fear of the Lord, it leads to somewhere good, salvation even. We'll get to that. So, in Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the door. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, it is the sum of the teacher's advice, which is to fear God, keep His commandments. Because God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil, not just the door, not just the sum, but the definition. Job 28, 28, and God said, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. So, the fear of the Lord is a a door, it's the sum, it's the definition that allows us to live a wise life. And yet, in the Scripture, there's this riddle I raised with you last week that leads straight to God's heart, straight to the Gospel, and that is that each time someone in the Bible fears God or would be afraid in His presence, they're told, be not afraid. What do you do with that? Which is it, you might say, fear God or don't fear Him? feels like a choice, but uh, any of you who've stood in awe of someone or something with great power and goodness can get a sense of the fear and gladness that and comes with awe, In Narnia, Lewis gets this. I think he knew exactly how to unlock the riddle. Hush, said the other four. For now, Aslan, the Christ Lion, had stopped and turned and stood facing them, looking so majestic that they felt as glad as anyone can who feels afraid, and as afraid as anyone can who feels glad. We are mining for wisdom through 2020, and since wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, we thought we might begin the year in this space. And so, we're exploring the three omnis, traditional and true attributes of God, and how they lead to the fear of God, and some implications for a wise life. Omnipotence, that was last week, he's all-powerful. Omniscience, that's this week, he's all-knowing. And omnipresence, next week, you guessed it, He is all present. What we're doing with the series is learning how to live in this space. You've got to look up at me. If you were here last week, you have a God above you, made you, owns you, You've got a will for your life, it's not just your dreams, it's His commandments. And He watches you, sees you, and will judge you. And that should lead to fear if there's no love. But you also have the same God below you, upholding you by His powerful hand, knowing you, loving you, showering with His grace, sending His Son to die for you, If you just have this without this, you'll run with fear. If you have this without this, you'll take him for granted. This is the space in which to do a wise life, and we're exploring what it means to be in that space during this series. So, outline on page 8. Lots of scripture today. It's the sort of talk where if you wanted to taste up the scripture, you should write the verses down. What does it mean, omniscience? Secondly, how does it help with my suker, my psyche, my soul, my inner life? My spiritual health. And secondly, how does it save my suke, my soul, my, 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 my life? I'm playing on the word there, the Greek word, suke. I'll come to that. What does it mean when we say that God is omniscient? Well, omni is all, A scientia is knowledge, where we get our word science. It means that God knows all things. He knows the science. There's nothing he doesn't know that can be known, and nothing he needs to learn. If there is a pie of knowledge, to which I own a fraction, God owns the whole pie. And all knowledge, then, is derived in and from him. So, knowing is a divine attribute, learning uh, acknowledges that he is the, the source of all, or knowledge. It's a divine attribute shared with humanity, which is why Christians value research and knowledge and science and art. Learning is not just a good thing, it's a God thing, for we are seeking what He has revealed in creation. People follow maps, and if I can put it this way, if there are people who follow maps in the journey of life, God is the ultimate and infinite cartographer. You know, cartog- above it all, mapping it all, knowing it all, and His map isn't complete. No map is, by the way. No map tells you everything on the journey, but it tells you what you need to know to get from A to B. God is the cart- ultimate cartographer, and His revelation contains everything we need to do life wisely. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed... In Scripture, in the life of Jesus, they belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow Jesus. God is omniscient. He's not enrolling in courses, hoping to add to his knowledge base. He doesn't look up Google. He's not a human being. He is an eternal being, the ground of all being, the Alpha and the Omega, the the beginning and the end, the, the A and the Z. This has worldwide implications, Job 28, verse 24, because he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. If there is a, a vast sum of knowledge, the psalmist, how vast is the sum of them? He knows A to Z, whereas you only know L to M and not even that. It has personal implications. Psalm 139 is such a personal psalm. Psalm one thirty-nine, verse one, which is what we read as we began our service today, and it's printed on page two. You've searched me, Lord; you know me fully. On this end, you know when I sit and when I rise. See, I thought it was my Fitbit that told me that. You perceive my thoughts, my thoughts from afar. That's why Jesus says, "I know what you're thinking." You discern my going out and my lying down. He knows exactly how much sleep you got last night, or how little sleep you got, right? You are familiar with all my ways, before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely. I don't even know what I'm going to say next. Actually, I've got it written down. Normally, I don't. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, verse 6, too lofty for me to attain you might think that's pretty scary that he knows you. Right? I love what 1 John 3 says, the second reading that Stuart read a moment ago, 1 John 3 verse 19, this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his all-knowing presence. If our hearts condemn us, which maybe they should left to our own devices, but we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He sent his son to die, we'll come to that This means, on the outline on page 8, he knows all things. He knows how the universe was formed at his command. He knows pi and can calculate it to infinity. He knows who will win the Democratic primary. He knows who killed Kennedy. He knows the DNA in your body, what is to come. He knows who is guilty in every court case, who's lying, and who isn't, and all the grey that exists in between. He can parse it all, our motivations. He knows where you lost that precious thing you lost all those years ago. He knows how the climate issues will play out over the coming century, be assured. He knows the cure to cancer and our pursuit of a cure is, in many ways, a pursuit after him. Be glad. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He not only knows, he secondly, he sees all things. It's not just information he knows, but actions. He sees what you do. He sees what you look at, what you download. You think there's an incognito window? He sees into your heart. He therefore sees your motivations. He sees every hidden thing. Job 28 God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. That's Ecclesiastes. My apologies. He has seen the death, every death, at the hands of every dictator. You think there was just a bullet in a grave, an unmarked grave? He will hold them to account. This is good news. But he's also seen the secret care and love you give of every servant to another, especially those who are vulnerable, and you will receive your reward in full. A very dark but stunning passage in Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and he saw that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. It's why Christ died. This means he understands all things. It's not just information and actions and thoughts of the heart, but he understands why we do certain things. He puts actions and thoughts in the context of a full life. He synthesizes the information. Uh, He doesn't just know it. In other words, he's not a bot, but a Father in heaven, who sees what is done in secret. Listen to this life-saving verse in Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, right? A parent, a child. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows you're weak. That's why Christ became weak. To make us strong. I take great comfort in this and it informs my pastoral senses. He understands the difference between sinning reluctantly and with the fear of the Lord, because, for example, because of an addiction that's hard to break. He gets it. He knows that we are dust, but he knows the difference between that and sinning with delight, with pride, and with the high hand of arrogance. He understands. He can see two people who become sharp with their children in the same manner. One of them, brought up in a toxic culture from his childhood, or her childhood, has done a lot in their lives to curb much of the anger that was passed down from the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. This one gets angry, feels the weight of it, seeks forgiveness and moves forward in a life-giving direction. The other has no such pain to overcome. They're just toxic in themselves, narcissistic and self-righteous. Both get angry, both look like the same act. But God understands the heart. He knows what you've been through. He remembers all things. It's not just that He knows, sees and understands, but He remembers, He holds it in His mind, which, by the way, is... Terrible news if you think the sin was so small that you committed all those years ago that he won't remember. It's also great news if you think that the thing that happened to you perhaps so long ago is now forgotten or in the past, or it isn't, and God will bring it to light, and right the wrongs. Romans 2 verse 16. "This light will take place on the day when God judges the secrets of our hearts through Christ Jesus as my gospel, my good news, declares, says Paul. So, he's omniscient. How does it help my inner life, my my psuche, my psychology? I'm not a psychologist here. I'm just trying to talk about how does it help my personal health? Well, there's a number of ways it can help you in life. One of them is you can worry a little less or maybe a lot less. God's got this. He's got your back. Fear Him. Don't worry about the thing, the thing that you worry about. Hard to do. Press into God. He's your Father in heaven. In that Matthew 10 reading, verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a single penny, nothing, yet not one of them will fall to the ground. Outside your Father's care, And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. It becomes easier to number my hairs as the years go on. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. There it is, there's the riddle. Fear God so that you cannot be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow can worry about itself. Let tomorrow worry. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One step forward, less worry. I saw this uh, as a meme this week. Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. Prayer is a conversation you have with God about things he can change. That's when you put two of the omnis together. Omniscience, he knows all things. Omnipotence, he has all the levers. Listen online from last week fear God. Second, you can be at peace, that God is at work, even in the suffering and the difficult times. It was Joseph that taught me this. I'm reading the Bible in a year, Was Shane Bible reading, and uh, got to Job 50, and the life of Joseph, which is about half of the book of, of, uh, of Genesis. God taught me this through Joseph. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph looks at his brothers, who mistreated him all those years ago... And he says to them, when you did that mistreatment, you know, it's not in my notes, but in chapter 42, I think, the brothers say, because they sold their brother into slavery, they put him in a well. And you don't hear way back early on in the story what actually happened, but later in verse, chapter 42 or so, the brothers say, God is punishing us because didn't we hear his blood-curdling cries from the well? Well, You don't hear that when the story starts, but you know the brother's heard it. There they are in pain, but their brother runs Egypt. Joseph says to them, be assured, you meant evil. You really did. But God meant, in the same act, God meant good, the saving of many lives. sounds a bit like you crucified the Lord of Christ, but God raised him from the dead, the saving of many lives but that word to the brothers was the balm needed on the evil of the brothers towards reconciliation. God had two views. He saw two tracks, not just one. Joseph brings in the God track interview, not just the human one. You just have the human one, you just end up bitter and upset, even if you get some justice. John Piper, and I don't John Piper, in this space, I don't agree with everything he says, but uh, U.S. Pastor John Piper says, God has the capacity to look at the world through two lenses. When God looks at a painful or wicked event through His narrow lens, He sees the tragedy or the sin for what it is. And in itself, He is angered and grieved. That's good news. He feels what you feel. But when God looks at the painful or wicked event through His wide-angled lens, He sees the tragedy or the sin in relation to everything leading up to it, and everything flowing from it he sees it in all the connections and effects that form a pattern or a mosaic stretching into eternity this mosaic with all its good and evil parts he does the light in if the crucifixion of jesus resulted in salvation for all you meant evil god meant good then you can be at peace that god knows everything a to z and he will bring all things into their rightful place at Christ's appearing. Someone knows the whole pie. This world, therefore, is not just the blind leading the blind, nor even the intelligent blind leading the intelligent blind. Third, you can rest about all you don't know, and I have vast empty warehouses of such We've had an explosion in knowledge in the past 20 years. Uh, first, it was the internet, and then it was the internet in our hands at the, din- at the dinner table. Remember back when you were younger, um, a dispute in facts was solved later at the library. Now, of course, at the dinner table, can someone can uh, uh, ask Dr. Google, who will tell you when that actor, uh, uh, who that actor was and when he died in an instant. Are we happier? Are we happier? There is something godlike in the pursuit of knowledge. And many amazing things that come from this technology. I am not a Luddite. But I would have thought the multiplication of knowledge, ironically, perhaps leads to the rise of anxiety. And the lack of quiet focus has affected me, I think, since the internet. Maybe it's okay not to know. It's okay to know that someone else does know. Fear God. And lastly, you can let God be the judge. You can love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Since there's a judge who sees all, knows all, understands all and does not forget. You know God's got justice in his mind and heart. He doesn't forget. This will take place on the day when God judges the secrets of all our hearts through Jesus Christ... As my gospel declares, said Paul, at his appearing. Which is why Jesus says in our second reading, thank you, Stuart, do not be afraid of evil, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill a body, but cannot kill a soul, said Jesus. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Jesus. I'm not afraid, said Luke to Yoda. Oh, you will be, said Yoda back. This is good news that God can judge. My friend Jacqueline has experienced a lot of judgment in her life. She said on Facebook last month, please, this is a great word, please don't climb over Jesus and onto the judgment seat, a spot reserved for the divine. You can let go of your judgmental or critical spirit, but not because there is no judge, but because there is one judge who sees it all. Thirdly and finally, how will this save my suke, my life, uh, my body and soul? Psalm 85, verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Do you fear him? Salvation is near. Ravi Zacharias said, when God is our holy father, sovereignty, holiness, omniscience and immutability do not terrify us. They leave us full of awe and gratitude. Sovereignty, he writes, is only tyrannical if it is unbounded by goodness, full of evil. Holiness is only terrifying if it is untempered by grace. Omniscience is only taunting if it is unaccompanied by mercy, and immutability is only torturous if there is no guarantee of goodwill. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a guarantee of goodwill and mercy and grace and indeed holiness. God is the cartographer, of the human way, the human life. Christ the God who shows us the way and Christ the way, the one who died for our sins. Because if this were not so, then this prayer that we began our service with today, which is normally the prayer for the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, this prayer will be a nightmare, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Did you mean that prayer? But he loves you. See, It's the good news. He loves you, but not blindly. He cares for you, but not blithely. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one falls without your father's care. Hair on your head numbered, DNA known, Knit you together in your mother's womb. Saw your frame there. Do not be afraid, O one who fears God. You are worth more than many sparrows. But it requires action. Matthew 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. You'll receive his embrace. That's good news. But there's also sobering news. Whoever disowns me, before others. I will disown before my Father in Heaven. Choose Him. That's partly why the next series, March 1, 8 and 15, with Dr. John Dixon, is going to be profound. And may I commend again, Saturday, March the 14th. The one who can remember your sin, remembers you and loves you and sent his Son to die for you. For the stuff he sees you do, And that he knows you do. Such knowledge is too lofty. And yet there it is to be received. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. I want you to trace his hand to Jesus Christ. And to his sacrificial death on the cross for sin. He knows you and loves you besides. It's called grace. To which we say, Lord, remember me. Let's pray. Father, would seem profoundly obvious uh, in looking at these breadth of scriptures, in looking at your revelation of yourself, the way you guided Israel through her history, giving her great promises, and through the life of Jesus, it would seem obvious that we should approach you with fear and humility, for you know all, you see all, you understand all, and you don't forget and yet you love us, so we come before you now with humility uh, to confess our sins. But in many ways, there's a point in which you remember our sins no more. You have forgiven us, and so we delight in this, Father. Give us this mercy. Give us this grace, for Christ's sake.